Christianity, the only one and true God, is the only faith in the world where God comes to us and gives his life for us, his love for us. It is a God who pursues us, and that's what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about. He is bringing them correction, right? He goes to the church, and there's about 50, 60 believers there, and he leaves after he's been there a year and a half, and, and he's there, and he, uh, they're writing letters. They're causing trouble. There are all kinds of problems, and so he's addressing their questions. And that's what 1 Corinthians is about. He's bringing correction, but in a loving way. And sometimes he's pretty firm-handed, but we receive that today as God's word. So Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, uh, it's my turn to read from verse 19. So I'm going to read all the way down through verse 23, and we'll just get started that way. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now that sounds like a lot of law, 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 law. Law, as my Aunt Claudette used to say, law, my aunts, my mom said it, law. I don't know why they said it, but it was just a thing, you know. Um, and we're going to get to that. But verse 22, Paul writes these powerful words. Look what he says. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. He says he becomes all things to all people, living life for Jesus. I spoke with a man the other day that I, I built a shed for, and he was talking about a man he knew that was, a, and he is not a believer, across the way, across the street, and he said, this guy's a Christian, can you believe that he behaved that way? And I said, well, yes, I believe that he could behave that way because, you know, Christians aren't perfect or some are not striving to follow Jesus. And Paul is talking about those who are striving to follow Jesus. So there's kind of a separation between those who know about Jesus and those who choose to follow Jesus. And because life with Jesus is different when you begin to follow him. And Jesus' life looks and feels, and you act different because of it. Because you're following Jesus, you begin to enjoy different things. You, you begin to have a different outlook in life. There's all kinds of different beautiful things that begin to appear in your life because you're following Jesus. And he writes some things, and he makes some points about the things that he does. He says, I'm a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, being a servant is a powerful connection, right? Being a servant requires humility, the ability to see someone's need, and to be able to do our best to meet that need. So he says, I do my best to meet everybody's need in a way and serving them that they might hear the gospel that I'm presenting. They might hear the message of Jesus. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, he says, to win those under the law. So he's talking to a crowd that understands this, the Jewish Believers among them are very religious. How many have ever met a very religious person? 
uh, the Jews are very religious, right? They've got, uh, they don't do this, they don't do that, they, they don't have tattoos in a certain way. Uh, well, the, the ones only of the Levi, they, and they, they follow these laws and all these rules, right? And so he's like saying, wait a second, if you're a Jew, I'm going to become like you. I'm going to put aside my freedoms that I have, not, not bound by your rules or religiosity. I'm going to be like you so that I can tell you about Christ. That's a powerful thing. Because being free in Christ means that he does, his conscience is free to, to participate in certain things. And he, yet he's saying, I'm going to lay that aside and become like you so that you might hear about Jesus. And then he says, to those outside the law, he became like them. In other words, those who are not religious as well. I became like them so that I, they might, I hung out with them. You know, I, I you know, I was with them. So, in fact, at one point, he's sitting down with some, or Peter sitting down with some people um, and eating some good bacon sandwiches. And some Jews come along and sees them eating these bacon sandwiches. Oh, a good BLT. Mm, mm, mm. Man, extra bacon and extra crispy. That's how I like it, right? So, in there, that's part of the dietary laws, right? They don't eat pork. They, and so, some when he sees some of his Jewish buddies coming by, he pulls away from the Gentiles and gets away from him. And Paul has to rebuke him, right? So Paul sees this struggle and he recognizes that the freedom that all of us experience when we came to Christ is very real, right? When you came to Christ and you dropped your sin at the cross and you said, Jesus, I the sky was bluer, the grass was greener. I mean, a light comes on inside, here and here. Something transforms in us when we begin to make a decision to follow Jesus. And, and so Paul recognizes this. And he says, I am becoming all things to as many as possible so that I can reach them. And we have that in abundant life. We have through our missions partners and we ourselves as church people, Matt and Debbie Mann, right? They're doing incredible work there. If you look on the poster out there, you can see what's going on in Botswana. And you can see the wonderful training, Jeff and Pam Gregory, who are doing things in media ministry, some of which I can't talk about because this is online, but they are reaching into places that are unreachable. Uh, Mike and Cheryl Langford as well, um, training up Ministry to Muslims Institute where these pastors going into Indonesia and some of these places are talking about Jesus amongst uh, sometimes a very in a very dangerous situation. John and Kirsten Koshal are Chi Alpha or campus ministers in Germany, right? Talk about a hard soil. Europe and America both are, are distance against Christianity, against faith in Christ. They, we have so much. We, we, we're so wealthy. We, comfort now is our God. So that's a tough battle, right? And he's going into these campuses, university campuses, and raising up pastors and churches on these university campuses. Marvelous work, right? And a, a teen challenge, and of course, Nick and and a Casey that we have right here in our own church as chaplains. We see these kinds of things. We are becoming all things to all people. And, and you know, we ought to have that same mindset when we go to work, right? It's, I would always go to a job site and, and people, if they know that I was a pastor, oh, I'm sorry for saying that bad word. Or, oh, sorry for my language. I'm like, dude, I'm hanging out with you. You know, this is your world. I understand. You know, people are going to be like they're going to be, Right? Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Right? 
Look what he says in verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So how do we go? God has given everyone the ability to engage in the mission. And uh, when, I, when my kids were smaller, I would give them assignments, right, as, as a father from their dad. And the assignment, and the assignment was carried out to a certain thing or, or done, and then maybe I had to help them do it, right? Um, but our Heavenly Father has not only given us assignment, but has given us power to accomplish the assignment by the goodness and strength of the Holy Spirit. So you have a mission, you have a purpose, you have vision that God has for you. God's not going to leave you alone here, right? He's not going to just say, hey, here's what you got to do, help yourself. He's, he's like, I'm going to go with you. I am with you, friends. When you walk into your workplace or into your family situation, God has not left you. He is with you. God is not just inside the four walls of the church. He's there when you walk outside. So we've been given supplies for the mission. We've been given the mission itself, the parameters. You and I have a mission in this world. And that's good news because it gives us purpose. And without purpose, people are a waif. They, they, they flounder. We follow the latest trends or what's going on in pop culture. You have a unique talent. You you have unique, unique relationships. You have unique resources. You, you, millions die every day without the hope of Christ. And we are armed with the message. How many here use an alarm to wake up in the morning? There's a few honest people. All right. Um, I almost never do. It's like every morning at the same time I wake up like at 4.15, 4.20. I don't know why. And I lay there and I can't go back to sleep. That's why sometimes by 9 o'clock I'm done. It's like, put me to bed. I'm just finished, right? Um, but an alarm is something that wakes us up. You know, in the Old Testament there was this there was this symbol of blowing a trumpet. And, and some, we used to sing the song, a cheerful song, like, Sound the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm on the holy mountain. You know, we did. But really the trumpet wasn't necessarily a thing about rejoicing at all. It was, a, it, was a, it was an alarm that there was an enemy approaching or it was a call to war. <coughs> and so God sets the alarm and he's, he's waking us up. He needs to wake us up just as Paul was awoken, because your uniqueness and your ability and your talents are in your environment for a reason. God has not put me in Suzanne's workplace. I am not there in, in Jim's house. Uh, you are not in my house with, with my neighbors and my sphere of influence. Each one of us has been uniquely placed in those places. That is your mission field. Sometimes we look at the mission of the mission field and go, wow, this is too big. How are we supposed to reach the world? Do for one what we wish we could do for all. That's the, that's the goal here, that we are Christ's hands and feet. Um, a lot of times I think most of here today would venture to say we're not purposely ignoring God's call to mission. None of us would say that. But I think that maybe many of us are mostly like Samson. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't necessarily a drunkard. He didn't do all of these other bad things, but simply he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And the great call of God on our lives is so important. It's so fulfilling, and it gives so much contentment and drive and purpose in life that if we fall asleep and we miss the sound of the alarm, we have missed God's plan for us to fulfill and have fulfillment. 
Falling to natural sleep is a, the biggest thing. And, and having an alarm to wake us up is, is, comes directly from Jesus, right? He came into the temple courts, and what did he do? He cleaned house. He called them to an alarm in a place where all of us began. It is the alarm that is sounded, and it can only be sounded through one avenue, and that is when God's people begin to pray. When we begin to seek Him and call on His name and He revives our soul and awakes us from the slumber that we've been in, we begin to realize, God, I've really been missing the purpose in life, the, the savorness of my pizza. God, I've, I've been missing the joy of, the, of the everything you have for me in this life. Not only that, but because I'm not on mission, nothing else, everything is tasteless. When we miss the big thing, all the other stuff is just what we follow. Every little thing is what we pursue to try to bring contentment. But if we get the big thing right, if we have the relationship with prayer and Christ alive, and the, the, the alarm has been sounded and, and we are awake, all of a sudden everything else comes into clarity. Listen to me, young people that may be in the room. I want you to hear this. Don't waste your life for one second pursuing everything else when the main thing is Jesus. Falling in love with Him and knowing Him and being personally involved with Him, knowing His Word and being in prayer and finding that when you walk it, when you wake up and when you go into your workplace, when you go into your school, when you go into those places where your, your environments are most common in your life, what begins to happen? You begin to be interested in the savoriness of all the issues of life because God has taken care of the big thing. Jesus called a prayer meeting with His disciples and they fell asleep. Being sleepy comes for a few reasons. When we are sleepy, number one, too much work. Too much work can make us sleepy. How many have been there? I have found burning the candle at both ends. I can become tired, really grumpy, and I'm sleepy. And when I get enough sleep, I'm ready to go again. But when we're overworked, when we're overdone, how many know there's a time to say no? Working too much. Number two, too much fun. When we have too much fun, how many like to have fun? I like to have fun. If you're a youth pastor, it's like, I want to have fun all the time. And you're like, oh, no. No more fun. But fun, fun, fun is the pursuit of everybody, right? And they're always tired and there's no time left to seek God. Too much work, no time left. Too much fun, no time left. Third, too much food. <laughs> too much food. Come on, Thanksgiving, you're just around the corner. Right? <clears throat> Give me those mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing and turkey. Just all, I like it all mixed together. I got one of my nephews, and he can't let the peas touch the stuffing or the, the you know, these, the little plots on the plate. I'm like, mix it all together. You know, pour the gravy in abundance on top. You know, This is the day of the year. And it is, right? We eat till we're full. It's a sign of, it's, you know, not over full. It, that would be sinful, right? But to eat till you're full is a sign of worship, really. The Pentecost means they ate till they were filled. But too much food. When we have too much of the, the savoriness, after a while, if you had lobster every day, you wouldn't want lobster anymore. That makes us not interested in God. Another thing that makes us tired is being sick. 
Being sick causes us to be sleepy because our, our body has to catch up and heal itself. And when we're not well spiritually or we're not well in our mind or our philosophies are wrong, we begin to like, I don't have any time for you, Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm disinterested in you. It was Ravenhill who wrote this years ago. Give us a religion purged of everything that defies logic, a religion stripped of the supernatural and emptied of miracles, a religion that is smooth and palatable and rationally acceptable. This has been the popular cry because of the lack of the church on her knees, praying, crying out together, Lord, lay some souls on my heart. Your mission is from the Spirit of God. My mission is from the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God gives us the details, and the Holy Spirit will open the doors. Come on now. When's the last time you prayed for a divine connection? You know, God opens the doors. You know, it's tough when you walk down the street and you just want to witness to somebody and you meet somebody and start asking, that's good. But I believe that God gives us divine appointments like he did for Philip. Like he does in every other instance whereby people were reached with the gospel, people came that God had prepared already. Let me tell you what, friends. You don't save them. I don't save them. People don't just come to church because it's fun. You know, I like to think so, but... They, they come because there's an interest maybe. People come to Christ because God has been working in their life. There's maybe there's been tragedy or there's been unanswered questions. And all of a sudden, He will put you in their path in the middle of the Safeway aisle. I believe that. And right where you're working, whatever you're doing, that God will put it on hold in your workplace. And at break time, that person who just, their wife just lost the baby and, and they don't know what to do. And you are there. Those appointments, pray for them. Ask God for the appointments, and he will give them to you. And that's what Jesus says. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your life. An awakening produces those things. Secondly, an awakening produces compassion. Matthew 9.36, the Bible says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. This is true. We are harassed all the time. I mean, right? You, you know what it's like when we go out of this place, we go into the world. You're being harassed constantly. There's all kinds of ideologies and philosophies and stuff being pressed. I mean, it's popular. Why not just go with what's popular? Everybody's doing it, right? And the idea here is that God says, wait a minute, have I have compassion. God's compassion is big. Being spiritually awakened produces a compassion that sees people where they are. People are following all kinds of different things, and they're harassed constantly. And, and Jesus says, you know, I, I have great compassion on them because they're being harassed by all this nonsense. People are constantly listening to and the, all the pop culture is cramming down our throat and people are drinking from the toilet of the world and thinking it's satisfying when it's gross and nasty. Friends, it should break our heart recognizing that Satan is destroying lives. 
He is destroying lives. Young men are filled with anger and young, young women with rebellion. Satan is at work. There are half of the marriages in the church like the world that get divorced. Satan is awake. Hungry kids spending hours because parents go out and spend their last dollar um, on drugs that need to satisfy their fix. Satan is awake. There are depressed, lonely, and hurting people. Satan is awake. Last year alone, I was involved in a handful of meetings where people were at the bottom of their barrel and, and life had crashed. Satan is awake. He's doing it, right? And yet God has given us the great com commission because of compassion. The Bible says Jesus' compassion is great. He looks on people right where they are. He doesn't demand them to be perfect. He just loves them right where they are. That's our God. Praise God. God calls... God, I, I found this poem years ago. It goes like this. God beckons the storm clouds and they come. He tells the wind to blow and the rain to fall. And they immediately obey. He speaks to the mountains. You go here. He says to the seas. You stop here. And they do it. He tells a donkey to speak. And he does. Everything in all creation responds to obedience to the creator. Until we get to you and me. And we have the audacity to look at God in the face and say, No. This is what Paul is talking about, that people need Christ. And he is saying, I've become all things to all people. Why? Because the winning of people is the goal. Scripture says, he who wins souls is wise. Don't let Satan, your circumstances, or any excuses stifle your witness. Don't let it happen. When it feels like it's the most awkward and uncomfortable, that's the moment when you need to say it. When you need to spill it out. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, I want to read it uh, here, the next part. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive it uh, to receive a perish perishable wreath, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So running in a race is important. If I was to prepare to run a race, I wouldn't spend all week sitting in the easy chair, watching television, eating Twinkies, right? This is not going to happen. I, I couldn't do it. I would be out of shape. I would get up and I would do things that are necessary to win the race. How many have ever run a race? Come on, you your kids or maybe you ran a race recently, maybe you ran away from somebody? Anybody? <laughs> I don't Maybe we shouldn't go there. Um, have you ever been disqualified? Anybody ever been disqualified? A false start? Never had a false start? Or, oh, Mike, you had a false start? Anybody else? Everybody else is lying? Okay. Well, no, no I'm just kidding. It's not necessarily true, is it? <laughs> There are some obvious reasons why uh, people are disqualified. And Paul talks about running this race, and he's talking about running in, in, in life. He's talking about the, the life pursuit of Christ in the middle of all of its issues and following Jesus in the middle of it. He's talking about staying true to the, being the following part of Christ, and he compares it to or equates it to running a race. 
that I am running this race. I have got this call on my life, as he just said, and I have to witness for the Lord. I have to be a testimony for my God out there, and I want to run well. In other words, my life and its issues in my life and the things that I like and the things that I do, I want them all to come into alignment with what God says in His Word and how the Holy Spirit shows me and convicts me. So he, he, competes, he compares this, and there are obvious reasons, and he says, in the end, I don't want to be disqualified. What does he mean by that? There, being disqualified is, is a, there's a lot of things. Last-minute injury, you could be taken out, disqualified, challenging course, strong rivalries, though, aren't the reasons for being disqualified. Um, there are some things that worry Olympians that they have to be wary of. But Paul says we need to be serious about this competition. And it's really not a competition against anyone but ourselves. We are the competitors against us. And we are the ones at the starting line. And we want to pursue Christ and follow Christ. And we have to beat or win over all of the things in our life that may disqualify us. 1 Corinthians 9.24, I want to read it um, in the New Living. He says, you've all been at, to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Excuse me, this is from the message paraphrased version. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that, trans, that tarnishes and fades. You're after the one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm, going to get, I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. He says, run to win. Run to win. Why would anyone say, Lord, I'm coming to you halfway? Jesus, I'm going to be, I'm going to come to you and I'm just going to go a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit Christian. And Paul says, no, don't you want to race to win? Man, friends, that's where we should have all of our confidence in the Lord. <coughs> all of our trust in Him. About every nickel that we make. About every circumstance in life. About every family member issue. That it's all in with Him about every struggle that I have, every addiction that I have. I, I'm going to follow Jesus. He is going to set my path straight. I, I'll pursue him with all of my life. Paul says, don't just get in this race and, and want to go halfway. Follow Jesus. <coughs> Be more than a camp follower. So the big difference in running is because we run because we have to. Because everyone else is running. Uh, rather than just running to win. God wants us to run to win. There's vision for people who run to win. Like we've gained Christ and we know that the life that He has and what He has for us is the best thing. He has the best solutions. Man, I've tried to run races in other ways. I've tried to circumvent maybe the way I know He wants me to go. Come on, you've all been there. And you know what it's like. There's a lack of peace. There's not contentment. There's, there's this feeling of struggle without victory. And Christ Jesus says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to run to win. Follow me with all of your heart. Follow me with all of your life. Follow me with all of your family. Don't get to bed at night and, and don't kneel at the side of your bed, dads, with your children. 
Don't, don't, don't not pray with your wives. Don't, don't not read my word. Don't forget to talk about me. I tell you what, friends, I think there's a lot of things that we leave on the sidelines when God's telling us to get in the game. Come on, follow me, he says. He wants us to win against the weights of addiction that hold us back or against the fear and depression that might terrorize our soul or win against the constant harassment from the issues of life. Let me say, you weren't made to lose. You were not made to lose. You were not made to lose in this race because you've been given the call You've been given the commission. You've been given the tools to run with and the things and the exercise book to know how to exercise. You've been given all the tools to run this race well. Run to win. Don't run halfway. Don't say, God, you don't have that ministry for me. Don't, don't, don't say, God, this is not my time to begin living for you. God, I, I, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Don't say that. Run to win. Don't lay down at the foot of the enemy and say, oh, okay, I'll do it your way. Run to win. Hasn't he already defeated the grave? Yeah. Hasn't he already uh, annihilated fear? Yeah. Hasn't his stripes already won our salvation? Yeah. Hasn't his resurrection put him on the top podium? Yeah. Hasn't the gold medal already been captured? Yes. Maybe it's time that Christians quit praying for the victory and we just begin living it. The victory's been won. Jesus has done all he's going to do to save you. Jesus has done and said what he is saying. He's shouting his will from heaven. He's shouting his will from his word. He's saying everything that needs to be said today. His spirit is moving in every way that it needs to be moving today. It's up to God's people to hear. It's up, for, up to us to run the race. And all the failures in life that you have had in the past, maybe failed broken relationships or hurts or pains because of death or, or failure in business, all of those things that have maybe tried, you've tried to define yourself by, Jesus says, hey, yeah, you, you did that. That's all done now. Now I'm trying to get your attention. It's like my son Justin. He's up here playing bass. He's the most, one of the most wonderful men on the planet. He's a joy to be around. He's getting married in October. We can't be more excited. He is all in for Jesus. When he was little, he was all into everything. Like his head, just, I mean, he was a thousand miles an hour, right? He couldn't keep his attention. I mean, you know how it is. You hold their face. They look at me and their eyeballs go everywhere else, you know. You take him to the store and just to get him to stand in the square. Wow, he wiggle every inch of that square. I mean, if there, there's not one untouched square inch of that square that his body didn't know. He'd just wiggle everywhere. And this is us. God is saying, wait a minute. Pay attention. Listen. Follow me. Run the race. Run the race. Following Jesus is getting our priorities re-straightened around. And this is what Paul is saying about, talking about. And yet, I think that we need to, we need to change our praying. Jesus, you've already defeated Satan. Jesus, you've already won the victory. You've defeated gra the grave, death, you, you, and hopelessness. Lord, let me walk in the victory you've won. Step out in the surety of his word. If his word says, do this with my money, I'm going to do that. If his word says, do this with my relationships, I'm going to do that. If his voice and prayer calls me to do this, I'm going to do that.
Train hard. Remember those basketball practices when I was a kid? I thought I was going to die. Come on, running the lines? That's just torture. And a coach would blow the whistle, and if you were last, you had to stay in. What's the deal with that? The fastest guy should have to stay in. Fortunately, you learn to be real quick, real fast. Every edge you can get at that line. You run, you wait for that whistle, and you try to jump it if you can to get to the foul line, back. The half court, back. The other foul line, back. The other baseline, back. And you run as hard as you can. And what's with the pitter-patter? I mean, I try doing that for five minutes. I mean, it'll shake everything off of you you don't want, that's for sure, all right, over time. So train hard. Do it for eternity, right? Eternity is in view. Eternity in, is in view for some around you in a very short while. And to keep our eyes on the finish line, distractions can pull us away from Christ. Once we pull up from the altar and we accept Christ and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. It's not over. It's just beginning. It's like television shows. You know, they kind of culminate the love story with the end where they get married. You know. But that's not it. The joy of marriage continues. And then there's children and poop and diapers and dishes and there's life, right? That's following Jesus because we deal with the issues of life and we navigate. We follow him. We follow hard. The world's finish line is the easy chair with a remote control, maybe to die in peace, surrounded by family, and to live hard, to get the next experience. That's the Hollywood picture, right? I've lived my life. I did it my way. What Sinatra doesn't realize or didn't know, I guess, really fully, is that we need to do it his way. When Paul says he doesn't want to be disqualified, he's using a really colorful illustration that they really understood because Corinth and Athens were both big. Athens is the origin of the Olympic, Olympics. And, of course, Corinth rivaled it with its stadium. It was, it was huge. And so they understood this illustration. He was talking right to their culture. In the Olympics, there are several ways an athlete can be disqualified. Doping, cheating, not representing their team well, obvious contempt for the rules. But um, I, I just want to give us a few and then I'll close. Ways to, to be disqualified from the race. Number one, being barely legal. China said their Olympic gymnast, bronze medalist, was 16. Won Olympics when she was really 14. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that um, we will be judged by the quality of the materials we use. Some will get to heaven barely getting by, but then there are those who build on that foundation with good stuff. And if anyone's work is burned up, he's going to be tried by that. So, you know, being barely Christian is not enough. Being barely there is not enough. Secondly, jumping the gun. The world's fastest man, the Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt. I mean, has anybody seen this guy run? He's amazing. He's just natural. It's like he flows. He was made to do this, right? He was disqualified because he jumped the gun twice. 
No warning. Straight elimination. To be so careful. Before Builder was, um, had a carpenter, his lead carpenter, it's an illustration, okay? And his, he was going to close his business, sell everything, and be done. So his lead carpenter knew that this was it. And the builder said, I have one more house for you to build. And I'm going to leave all the decisions up to you. And so the carpenter, the lead carpenter, went into the mindset as rather than quartz countertops, I'm just going to do flat laid laminate. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the finger joined studs for my walls rather than two by six straight wood. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to cut corners. And the, so the carpenter cut corners here and there. He, he, he didn't pave the driveway. He just put in compacted gravel. He, he didn't use the best materials for the roof, didn't use the best fixtures for lighting and the cheapest materials he could. Cut corners everywhere he could. At the end of the house, the, 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 mat, the contractor came back and asked his lead carpenter, he said, oh, so this is the house you built? This is the last one? He said, yeah. And the, the master contractor pulled out the keys and said, here it is. You've been my most trusted carpenter. I'm going to give you this house. Don't use cheap stuff. Don't get caught in your Christian life going halfway. Don't just try to get by. Man, this is all or nothing. This is Jesus or nothing. And you see, the thing of it is, living this way, for those who are striving, it's a striving thing. None of us are perfect. But we know this is life. It's life right now, but not only that, life forever. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many that go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few that find it. What does that mean? That means following Jesus. That means looking at Him. Friends, be wary of shortcuts. I see people all the time. This thing happens, so they're going to go follow this spiritual leader there. Or this thing, this teaching here. Man, how many of Christians, if we would just open the word of God ourselves, and we would be in a family of believers that opens the word of God ourselves, and we would know the truth. Following Jesus. Thirdly, another reason that people get um, disqualified is wearing high-tech uniforms. And the, law, the laws, have, the rules have changed a little bit, but Speedo... I didn't know this has been the swimwear choice for swimming competitions and helping sw swimmers set world records. But back in 2009, the world governing body of swimming banned this supersuit. It was called a super, they get nicknamed supersuit, calling them technological doping. Because a Speedo gave people an edge. And Jesus says in Matthew twenty two eleven, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Remember the story? He's telling the story of people. In verse number 12, he said to him, friend, how did you get in to the, without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot out into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, there may be many who look the part, they, they act right, they can come to church, 
They can hang around Christian people, and maybe they wear even the same clothes. They look the same, but only the only way that we're going to win the race is if we're clothed in God's grace, only through Jesus. And you are not saved because of your family heritage. You're not saved because you're related to someone who's, who's a big Christian personality. You are saved because of God's grace to you and you alone. We'll not show up for Judgment Day with our own righteousness and our own, do, our own clothes on. We're going to be clothed with His grace. Acts 4.11 this, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. No one. There's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved except the name of Jesus. And finally, tampering with the equipment gets you disqualified for the race. We've heard about drugs and maybe hitting someone's knee with a tire iron. <laughs> Corking a bat, deflating the football. We've all heard cheats, right? That at the first Olympic marathon in 1896, a Greek athlete, Spiridon Belkados, crossed the finish line in third place was later found out that he had ridden a horse and carriage part of the way. In 1904, American Fred Lortz stopped running nine minutes into the marathon event, and he got a lift in a car and was dropped off just before the finish line. Of course, he was disqualified. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom but only who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what did Jesus say the will of the Father is? What is the will of God? To believe in the one whom he sent. Hallelujah. Man, if that's not grace, I don't know what is. In other words, getting into heaven isn't about how good you are, how good we can be, but because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I see in our culture people all the time, people misusing God's equipment and like the Pharisees creating their own custom-made righteousness, taking God's word out of context and using only what they wanted to. Why is this important? Because I think as a pastor, my, I think my, my goal in this place and with this podium or position is that we run well and we die well. I want every Christian to live well and I want you to die well. I want you to go to heaven. I, I want there to be certainty in your life that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt. And that in this life, you're running well. And you're acquainted with Christ and He is bringing into your life the joy of knowing Him that's beyond everything the world has. And He uses things of the world to bring you joy. At that, It starts to turn a corner, right? It's like everything He gives. It's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Run well and die well. Stand with me, would you? Let's pray about this, Pam. Jesus, I thank you for those who are here today, those who maybe watch online this Father's Day 2023. When I was a kid, I didn't even know if I'd see 2023. God, I had all these thoughts about spaceships and things. But Lord, I know that even now, that you, you are coming soon. We look at our world, Jesus, and we know every issue of life, and we recognize, Lord, that your love is best, following you is best. And as Paul says, I don't want to run the race to be disqualified. I want to, I want to run well and finish strong. 
Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this place now? Speak the lives and give your grace and peace to those who may not have peace. In this place, God, I pray in these moments right now where we're applying this in prayer, Holy Spirit, come and speak to lives, every one of us. Jesus, 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 Jesus. How many in this place would respond with a lifted hand by saying, Pastor, I'm really not running the race as well as I should. Pray for me. Would you just lift your hand? Yeah, yep, yep, all across. And then the invitation that Paul really gives and he closes is that he wants us all to run well and finish well. If you're here today and you don't have relationship with Jesus, you don't know what that looks like, or you think it's more religion than it is relationship, I hope today that the Holy Spirit will change your mind. Even in these, even in these moments. If you've come and you say, Pastor Larry, I, I really need to know Jesus and I want to. I want to ask him to come into my heart and life and to change me because I want to be in this race. Maybe you've never done that or it's been a long time and you've dropped out of the race. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now, would you respond as well and say, Pastor, pray for me. Just right where you're standing. I'm not going to call you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. What a beautiful response to the Holy Spirit today all across this room. So maybe we could do this today. Would you pray in your own way with your own words? And, and make sure the ingredients are basically the same, that you want to come to Christ recognizing that you're not running well or running at all. Admit that to him. He's a loving God. He's not going to push you away from his table. And tell him that. And then secondly, ask his forgiveness. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to change that. And then make that commitment to him. Say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. And then I will pray for us together to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for strength and anointing to accomplish the race. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you first of all and we admit, Lord, that we have been wrong. God, maybe we haven't been running the race, Lord Jesus. Maybe we haven't thought about the finish line. Maybe we're, we're confused. There's so many issues in this world. Lord, I pray today, we ask you, Lord, we ask you, God, to help us. Forgive us for believing this, these lies, maybe. Or forgive us for not following you, Lord, and putting you first, Lord, we need help. Lord, send somebody in, in, in to us, Lord, or, or put somebody in our life that will help us run this race together, Lord. Running alone is hard. Lord, give us somebody to help us run it well. And then, God, we, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to come in and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you forgive us for being, Lord, maybe out of the race. But we ask you, Lord, for the gift of your Spirit. And, Lord, I pray in this place, even now, that your Holy Spirit's presence would touch lives all across here. But we ask you for your touch. 
Holy Spirit, come, rest, fill us. And give each believer a new drive for the race. Lord, I pray this in your name, for you are good and worthy of all adoration. Because my life entirely belongs to you, our life. Lord, I pray today for your grace on your people. Can I pray for you? Would you lift your hands as I pray for you one more time? Just your blessing. God, I pray peace upon your church as we go today. Let your Holy Spirit's presence go with each one of them. Bring conviction and peace and joy and the goodness of your love in every step that they take. In Jesus' name, amen.